Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 Zurich Classic First Look. Research, maybe some early leans, and we're going to try to figure out what to do with this team tournament. There will be DraftKings contest for the first time ever offered for this format and for the Zurich Classic. So the Listener's League link is available right now in the description of this video and podcast. There's only 1,500 spots because... I didn't know how popular this tournament would be on DraftKings, or if some people were just like, nah, screw it, I'm taking the week off. They don't offer contests. But as it turns out, they do offer contests on DraftKings. And I will be doing my walkthrough on fantasynational.com a little bit different uh, than before because there's no strokes gain data from this course because of the wonky format that we're going to be seeing for the Zurich Classic. But if you do want to walk through each of the players and do your deep dive on the course, fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself 20% off. You get the annual now. You figure out how to use it. The PGA Championship is just coming right down the pike right at you. So you might as well get accustomed to using the stats right now uh, before you just wait the week of and be like, hey, what am I doing over here? No, this will be fine. And we're trying to figure out how to get stuff loaded into Fantasy National for this event. And when I get to the DraftKings side of things, uh, DraftKings themselves appear to be having some programming problems. The team event just kind of screws everything up. Uh, and our program at Fantasy National, unless Moose really gets on his, on his horse here and figures it out, is just almost impossible to parse in. Maybe we can try to do it individually. I don't know anything about programming. That is all up to Moose. And if it's going to crash the site for the next three weeks, probably best to leave it to the side. Not going to lie to you, but hopefully we can get something up and running. I know that Moose was able to make that lineup generator for the match play like out of thin air. Uh, so I have faith that he can come up with something here. DraftKings wise, like I mentioned, there is going to be actual contest this week for the team tournament. So the way that I've looked into the rules, they're up now on the DraftKings app and DraftKings.com, if you want to go check it out, is that you'll only be allowed to take one player from each team. I think that's how they're getting around the programming within the system. So each player will be listed individually, not as a team, but you get all the points for that team if you take the one person, and you can only take one person per team if that makes any sense. So you can't use John Rahm and Ryan Palmer. But if you use Ryan Palmer, that means you get both John Rahm and Ryan Palmer. I assume they're going to make all teammates the same price, because if not, that's going to be ludicrous uh, and a real oversight on their part. But hey, we've seen crazier things happen on DraftKings before. So that's the way that I would try to be playing it. There are 80 teams in the field. So there's 160 players in total. I believe it's the top 35 in ties end up making the cut. It could be top. 30 in ties uh, it's, just, it's all thrown out of whack to me I've been trying to look into it and I'm getting conflicting results I believe it's top 35 in ties make the cut after 72 holes and the way that it works or after 36 holes sorry and the way that it works in terms of the team format is that they will start in best ball and then go to foursomes then best ball then foursomes so Thursday and Saturday you're going to see best ball where everyone's going to do their low, 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 low scoring and try to shoot 60 or 59 or something like that. And then in the foursome where you play alternate shot, uh, things get a bit more tricky when it comes to that. The teams that have had the most success in the past are the teams that have done the best in foursomes. And I do have some notes on some of the teams coming into it, but uh, we're just really just trying to parse through all of the information possible here and try to... It's not going to be a huge stats week because... 
you can look into the stats and figure out, oh, who's birdie or better is going to be the very highest this week, or who plays the best at Pete Dye courses. This, once again, is a Pete Dye course. It's TPC Louisiana, if you don't remember, par 72, uh, 7,425 yards, uh, 80 teams. And the grass, or the green, sorry, are different than the last time that we saw this play. They actually renovated all of the green complexes the year, like three days after Rahm and Palmer won, which was the last time we saw this event in 2019. So it went from being, let's see here, mini verde Bermuda grass with overseeded poet and velvet bent grass, which we've been seeing a lot of uh, this time of the season in the southeast. And now they are Tiff Eagle Bermuda green. So per, pure Bermuda, based on all the research that I've done, uh, we'll see what they classify it as once they actually release the groundskeeper sheet to everything. But in the research that I dug up about this course, that is what's coming through on everything. But again, it's going to be really tough to parse the stats because we don't have any real stats to go back and look at from the last three years. That's when the team event became something on the PGA Tour. It feels more like a gut feel event uh, to me. Uh, I've had some success at this tournament in the past. I had Blixton Cam Smith at 100 to 1 the very first year. Haven't hit a winner since, but you know, if you give me one 100 to 1 winner at an event every five years, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. So hopefully we can find someone deep down on the list this time because just parsing back through, and I'll go through each of the leaderboards and see if we can find some sort of common trends, lead up for them using Fantasy Nash, with the players that are involved, but it's going to be a lot of guesswork. Who do you feel comfortable with? And even looking at the very top of the board, we don't know what the odds are going to be yet, but we can parse out who some of the top end teams. We'll get to that in a second. But it's a favorite. What's a favorite in a team event like this? Now, it's not to say that two scrubs are going to go out and win, but it does feel like that, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth best teams in this event have just as good of a shot of winning as whoever's listed as the favorite. I'm guessing it's going to be Palmer and Rom, considering they have John Rom, who is the highest ranked player in the field. And Ryan Palmer is one of the highest ranked players in this field, and they won the last time. It feels like repeating at a team event is going to be incredibly difficult to, too. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, it's going to be a fun show talking this through with Jeff on Monday in a DraftKings show that I am doing on Tuesday. No live chat this week. It's going to be Oscar's show in that place. No live chat the next few weeks, actually, because uh, NFL Draft is going to take over a lot of two weeks from now, and then special surprise for three weeks from now. Probably the next time you'll see the live chats for the PGA Championship show. I hope I can get to it the week before that for the Byron Nelson, but that's just where we're planting the flag right now in terms of the production schedule of the Pat Mayo experience. If you were wondering, remember to smash the like button for the video as well, and give me your best tip, I guess, for a team format, whether it's betting or on DraftKings, because I am interested in the strategy that people are taking this week, because I haven't really thought it through to the point. This is the first look shows where I'm going to be doing a lot of my research and trying to find some nuggets from everything, but wow, it seems like it's going to be a pretty, pretty tough week. But let's get to some of the teams in the tournament right now. You'll see Team 1 of 80, Morikawa and Matthew Wolf. The, the best teams, or at least the most notable teams, are going to be here on the front page. Willett and Hatton, Stenson and Rose, Xander and Cantlay seems like a super team. That could actually be the favorite team. The ones I have my eye on, realistically, Horschel has won this event solo. He's won it with Scott Piercy. I believe it's Scott Piercy that he ended up winning with. Yeah, Scott Piercy, minus 22 in 2018. Uh, he is now partners with Sam Burns. I actually really like that duo. That would be, depending on what the odds are, if they're 25 to 1 to 30 to 1, that's probably the team that I'm going to go in on. Kisner and Brown just do well at this tournament every single year. They constantly play together. Uh, in three years, they've come 
T5, T15, and lost in a playoff in the first year to Cam Smith and Blix. Bubba and Scheffler, another kind of interesting team as well. Bubba has made the cut twice. He usually played he played with Matt Kuchar one year. Uh, he's played with J.B. Holmes twice. Uh, it, it's funny, when you try to wrap your mind around what you want out of a team in this sort of format... Uh, I kind of want someone whose skills complement each other a little bit, like Cam Smith and Blixt. I mean, Blixt is good like once every 18 events, or at least he was good. Like he has wins on the PGA Tour. Like he's not a scrub. It's a except like 80% of the time he plays like a scrub, and Cam Smith was just an up-and-comer at the time, I guess they had a good fusion because they played really well in the foursome format. Uh, That year, they shot 67 and 68 as a team. Like Kisner and Brown shot 70 and 67 in the foursome format. Bubba and JB were odd that year. They shot 73 and 68. Spieth and Ryan Palmer shot 66 and 70 that year in a foursome in the first year that this was an event. Uh, Spieth and Palmer actually came T4. So Palmer has a win and a T4 in his two events. Guess he's just a great teammate who knows uh and rom and palmer actually had the best foursome uh duo the year that they won they were 65 69 that was way better than any other team so that's really what it comes down to in the alternate shot in the foursome who are going to be the best teams i do think that you have to at least try to estimate out in your mind what the best type of players are going to be that complement each other's skill set like xander and cantley actually seem like a really good match to me uh they're going to be tough to beat when you have someone like Kisner and Scott Brown, they kind of do the same things well, although Kisner obviously is a much better player than Scott Brown. Scott Brown's no slouch either. I worry about someone like Scheffler and Bubba Watson. Like, you know, They don't leave themselves in the same spot. Like, I, I have interest in them because I think that Bubba is good in this type of format. He plays in all the team events. He tends to relish this kind of thing. But someone like Scotty Scheffler, I don't know how he tends to play in team events. And is he going to be familiar with some of the leaves that Bubba gives him off the tee? If Bubba, it's not so much if the guy hits it down the middle of the fairway. That's fine and everything like that. that that's what you want to see in this format. It's, it's sort of like Morikawa and Wolf in this format. Like both guys can be really good putters. Both guys can be atrocious putters from time to time. But like, is Morikawa really going to be able to play from like the woods? Because Matthew Wolf's driving has been so off recently. I don't know. Then I look at a team like like Palmer and Rom makes some sense to me. Like Rom is just the really good version of Rom. Ryan Palmer. So if you can pair up, like, if you're sort of the advanced person's skill sets with the skill set that you have, that seems to be the thing that translates a little bit more. Like, even Horschel and Scott Piercy, like, they kind of do the same things well when they're going right. Horschel is the better version of Piercy. Now, at the time, there wasn't that big of a gap between their skill sets, but obviously, Billy Horschel, a former FedEx Cup champion, former solo winner at this event, like I mentioned as well, is someone that you can kind of look at. Like, Champ and Finau are kind of interesting, because both guys are going to bomb it, and we know that Finau is just a better overall player than champ but champ has win equity too he's won twice on the pga tour like with tyler duncan and adam shank i'd prefer that be tyler duncan and webb simpson that would make far more sense to me uh, what are some of the other teams here like steel and keegan bradley kind of seem like the same guy that uh, they they're both ball strikers they both they're total driving they're going to be up near the top obviously steel's putting can get a little bit hotter than Keegs. Both of their chipping, something to be desired, but that skill complement seems really good for me. Like even Gooch and Max Homa, um, we know that Gooch can, you know, he can get out there a little bit, but when he runs pure, he runs really pure with his irons. Ditto for Max Homa that they could be able to be a decent complementary team as well. Like Stallings and Bryce Garnett, 
I have no idea. Ventura and Hovland, uh, also super sneaky interesting, because Ventura can be a really good putter from time to time, and maybe Vic just plays super well. Grace and Werner, two guys playing a bit under the radar, too, so have some good Pete Dye experience. So that could be another team to watch out for. we got you know, 80 teams in this entire thing. Im and Ann, can Im do all of the putting? Is that something that's going to be allowed? Because Im will stick it to, like, three feet, and then he'll have Ann miss all the putts for him. That wouldn't be great. Who else? Like, this is a really weird pairing. Brandon Haggy and Michael Kim. Like, I can't think of a skill set that is more opposed than Brandon Haggy and Michael Kim. So that's really a tough one for me to get behind. Pat Perez has had some success at this tournament in the past, playing with Jason Duffner. Kokrak, obviously a really good player. Now, maybe the team format suits someone like Pat Perez. That's a team to keep on the radar. Glover and Reavy have played really well together, too. Uh, both guys can't putt for anything but it's not like the glove is super long off the tee that's good for Reavy. both their irons can work in unison really really well even if one guy's having a bad day uh, you wouldn't expect both of them to have a bad day kirk and brennan todd another one kelly Kraft and kevin tway have actually had some success in this and when i went back and look at the qbc shootout as well uh just Kevin Tway pops up in these events it's really really weird maybe peter uline can ride some of this corn fairy form he's got on the go and translate that over, playing with my guy, Richie Warinsky, who's, you know, really hot and really cold, and there's no real in-between for him. Like, Hogard is coming over from Europe, and he's playing with Von Taylor. That seems super strange. Peters is one of the best players in this event, and he's paired up with Tom Lewis, who kind of pops up out of nowhere. I'm curious to see how that team kind of meshes, a team that I'd want to dig into a little bit more. Uh, obviously, I will be betting this team, Gim and Justin so Two of my favorite guys on tour. So they're automatically going on the card. What are they going to be like? 80 to one, something like that. Bring it. Let's go. Charles and Louie have had success at this tournament in the past. They were T3. When we go over the leaderboards here, we'll see some of the names that pop up. Watney and Hoffman, sneakily enough, have never missed a cut at this event. They've come ninth, 31st, and 5th uh, as a pairing. Now, Watney is a shell of his former self, but he's been kind of a shell of his former self for the past, I don't know, eight years. And Hoffman's game is really on the uptick right now. So that is a team to watch out for just because they have Nick Watney on it. I don't think that's just a huge detriment to them whatsoever. Mav McNeely and Bramlett seem like they will destroy best ball and just be the fucking worst in foursomes. Uh, Hostler and Hoagie. Noren and Norlander are a team as well. Yeah, Kyle Stanley and KH Lee. I feel like they played together before. When we jump over to the thing, just keep that one in mind. Kyle Stanley and Cage. I think they did well the last time this was played. Oh, Vince Watley. Like, well, Dr. Watley, he's just converted to steal all the jokes. Uh, him and this is a really weird pairing. So, Whaley and Gillich, whose name, who's Canadian, I can't even pronounce his last name. But they both just randomly pop up with good T to green performances every now and then. It's just funny that they're going to be a team that's together. Uh, maybe a first-round leader bet on someone like that. Hearn and Power are one I do want to talk about. Um, they've just been kind of really good. Uh, they've played together twice at this tournament before. Power was having a nice round the Corn Ferry Tour. Lord knows what David Hearn is up to. Tends to play die courses really well, uh, at least historically he does. And you know, they've made the cut two or two years as a team. It, it's just a really strange sight to see them together and they're a team that i'm actually interested in probably not to bet outright but maybe a top 10 bet maybe a DraftKings play because you know that they're going to be super low here's an interesting one too i wonder if kevin stadler is going to keep that going after last night uh, the last time we saw him at valero when he was actually awesome he's playing with johnson wagner who i forgot was on the p he's not even on the pga tour but i thought he had retired like five years ago so here we are chris baker the birdie maker that sounds good for this format and peter malnati who could gain 15 strokes putting out of nowhere 
Well, that's kind of a fun one. Seifert and Neesmith? Oh, that, that, take my money now. Okay. I'm actually kind of pumped up for this event. It's fun not to have to dig too much into the stats. Kind of play it with your gut. Tringali and Castro have played together in the past. Uh, teams from the QBC that we're going to see, Sabatini and Tway, came T2 at the QBE this year. Uh, obviously, Matt Kuchar and Harris English won. Leishman and Cam Smith are a team here. They came 8th. It's only a 12-person tournament, mind you. Uh, and Cam Champ and Finau actually came 5th at that. That's all best ball, though. That is not alternate shot. So I don't know how indicative that's going to be of too much. Let's jump over to the course on fantasynational.com, fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself that 20% discount. So you can see the layout, uh, and this is all the stats from before uh, the team event because they are not tracking stats for the team event. Approach and putting, if we go back and look at the former winners of this event as solo, so Raman Palmer won at minus 26 as a team event, Horschel and Piercy minus 22, Blixt and Cam Smith beat Kisner and Brown in a playoff at minus 27. Uh, I recall this because it ended up being a Monday finish and Kevin Kisner chipped in on the 72nd hole, which is a par five, by the way. I remember Billy Horschel's putt here on the par five to clinch his first ever win in 2013. So uh, that was a big sweat, the Blixt-Cam Smith's one i should have hedged out on it i didn't uh, and it all actually worked out rarely does that happen the last time it was a solo event was 2016 stumanji brian stewart ended up winning although in my mind it's always chris stroud they were a team here one year too i think they were just trying to troll us but brian stewart beat byunhan Ann and jamie lovemark in a playoff this is notable because jeff and i had outright bets on Ann and Jamie Lovemark that year. That was a 54-hole event. Jason Day was going to win that year, uh, but weather forced it to turn into 54 holes from 72 holes. They had to cancel the final round and then go to a three-person playoff. But Day was just, he had a bad first round and was just storming the leaderboard. That's back when Day was the number one player in the world as well. Justin Rose won at minus 22 in 2015. Sung, you'll know. Uh, one in 2014 at minus 19. Billy Ho, minus 20. Before that, I believe it was Duffner and Bubba Watson uh, who ended up winning. Boner Jams had a win at this course as well in 2010. So par four scoring would be something to look into. That's one thing that all of these players really do have in common. They're really good par four scores. And if we look at the yardages on the par fours, 355, uh, 372, 390. They're all like short-ish par fours. You get a couple you know, longer ones uh, once you get more down the scorecard here. But here you have one, two, three, four, five, six par fours that are 438 yards or less. It's pretty good. And really long par threes at this course as well. All of them over 200 yards. So if you were to model it out, I think this, I haven't ran a model for this in so, so long. Uh, let's see here if I even have a Zurich one on the board. I don't. There's no TPC Louisiana. I have nothing uh, about it. I have the stat board template. That's always a fun one to look at. Uh, Paul always runs this when we make our board. So if, if you've ever seen the graphics on the show, uh, it is the stat template leaderboard. It actually just, it just has your very basic stats, like what we deem as important stats that you would want to see on the screen. And then all of a sudden it tends to spit out. I have this set to pass 50 rounds and all tour players, by the way. Um, you probably want to look shorter term, shorter par fours, and see what that ends up doing. We can just go look at that right now, actually. Let's see. Par four efficiency, and we'll go you know, past 24 rounds, see how that goes. It's kind of tough because it's going to spit out everybody. Oh, good. Now it loaded in my rankings. Now here we are. All right. Let's see. Let's see even 350 to 400. Uh, 350 to 400. How are we doing here? Cantlay, Furick, Matt Jones. So Kisner's up there. Rom's up there. 
Teeter is up there. He has a partner in this event, I'm pretty sure. Who is the Teets playing with? Maybe Teeter is not playing. Maybe I'm thinking about Wes Roach. Or it's just not searching for me. That could be a thing, too. Let's see. Teeter. Oh, no, it is actually searching things, so that's good to know. Stuff to do when you have this, like, weird PDF that's not really a PDF. It's opened up in a browser. Anyway. Uh, oh, EVR is up there, and Seifert is up there as well. Morikawa, Streelman, all guys who are playing. Xander, Batia is not playing. I think Nate Lashley is, though. Matthew Wolf is still up there, even over the past 24 rounds. So Teeter, Seifert, and Van Royen. Who are those guys paired up with? Well, let's go back here and check it out. This would be nice to have in the thing. There's Streelman. He's up there with Fratelli. I thought I saw EVR in the field, and I thought he had like a decent partner as well when I started to look into it. Eric Van Groyen, Norlander, Higgs, Charles, Kramer, Hickok. Was he the one who was paired up with, not Hickok, who's the other guy who drives it a ton, putts really well? Seifert and Neesmith, there he is. Eric Van Royen, Wyndham Clark, okay. Wyndham Clark, good putter. Eric Van Royen, bad putter, but scores really well on these shorter par fours. That could be a team to watch out for this week. I knew I knew I was not mental and that I was going through that in some sort of way. Uh, so that's what we're looking at past 24 rounds anyway, <laughs> as it pertains to everything. You see Piercy is up there. The Glove is up there. Wolf's still up there, but obviously those rounds go back a little bit farther. Grayson Hoagie and Norlander all in this field. Uh, different partners, obviously. Then you have Keegan Bradley, who's 40th. And this is amongst all players, not just players in the field, all players on the PGA Tour. But this is really what I wanted to go back and look at here. There are some of the course history in terms of the team event going into it. And if we can try to glean anything. So Rahman Palmer, one of the best teams in the field. Sergio and Fleetwood, one of the best teams in the field. Fleetwood actually has two top fives at this event, but he's not playing this year. Yeah, K.H. Lee and Matt Every uh, tied for third. Brian Gay and Rory Sabatini tied for third. And then you had Lebiota and Luck, Kisner and Brown, Castro and Tringali, Seamus, Seamus Power. And David Hearn were the other guys that were up there as well. Martin Laird and Nick Taylor, a team once again this year, T9, the last time that we had this as an event. Uh, if we go back to 2018, you see Billy Horschel and Scott Piercy, followed by Duffner and Perez, Charles and Louie, Paisley and Tommy, Garnett and Hadley uh, tied for fourth. Then you had Finau and Summer Hayes, who has since retired from golf. Patrick Reed and Patrick Cantlay, the Pats, T. Dunks and Adam Shank, I guess that's why they continue to play each other. They came T7 two years ago. Knox and Laird. All right, so it seems like Laird does pretty well in this format. T9 with Nick Taylor. Uh, Martin Laird, T7 with Russell Knox. There's Power and David Hearn tied for 10th. So they tied for 10th and tied for 5th uh, in the past two seasons at this event. Steele and Lovemark. So I like that Steele and Keegan Bradley lineup because I just think that Keegan Bradley is probably the better version. Actually, Steele and Keegan Bradley are just very similar players, uh, and they're much better than Jamie Lovemark, who did have a good course history at this event. Uh, there's Lashley and Oppenheim. They popped up as well two years ago, the very first year of this event, although the formatting was different that year, as you can see. Um, did they do that? Yeah, so now it's... The two easy rounds are rounds one and three. This year it was inverted, where it was alternate shot day one, best ball, alternate shot, best ball. Now that's flipped. You'll have best ball rounds one and three going forward. Uh, Kraft and Tway, Duffner and Kazire. So Duffner with Kazire was fifth. And then Duffner with Pat Perez was second. 
And I don't know if they played again uh, after that. Where was Duff Daddy the next year? Duffner and Perez missed the cut the last time they were together. They went 66-71. That actually doesn't seem so bad. Um, and let's see here. Yeah, it was the top 35 in ties who ended up making the cut. So that ended up sneaking through one, two, three, four. So uh, 37, 8, 9, 39 teams ended up making the cut. So you see Brennan Grace with Justin Harding the last time we saw him. Sharma and Lahiri, Team India actually didn't look so bad. Spawn and Matt Jones ended up making the cut that year. It, there's really no rhyme or reason to a lot of this stuff. As I see McDowell make the cut, there's Revy and Glover, like I mentioned. When you have teams like Stallings and Mullenix, who I believe were tied for the lead going into the final day and shot 77 on Sunday, uh, where see, there's Charlie Hoffman and, and Charlie Hoffman and Nick Watney. Nick Watney, where, where have you come from, Nick Watney? So the one thing I do want to look at, and we'll try to dissect this down a little bit, so you have John Rahm, who I believe it was his first time playing the course. So we'll open up John Rahm, and we'll open up Ryan Palmer. Uh, the Zurich doesn't get credited in to the system for a win, uh, just because it just, like I said, throws everything absolutely off base. But it would be right here. So but after the Masters, it was his one, one stop for John Rahm in between the Masters and the PGA. So he had great form coming in. Ninth of the Masters, sixth of the Valspar, twelfth of the player. So he had been having a really good year. What about Ryan Palmer? Did anything point to Ryan Palmer? Well, he had a top 10 in his start previous to that event. I think so. No, no, wait. That's the wrong year. My bad. Uh, how are we doing here? All right, so we had a made cut, a top 30 at the RBC Heritage coming in, miscut Valero and players, and then a fourth at the Honda. So two decent finishes at a four in the year that he was coming in. So let's take a look at Billy Horschel, who, like I had mentioned, like eight times so far, that he has won at the Zurich Classic before. And then we'll take a look at Scott Piercy and see how they actually trended coming into their win. So that was 2018. That would be, let's see, right around here. So, oh, Billy Ho had good form coming in. He was fifth at the Heritage. I can't remember if Valero was before or after. I think it was before, yeah, because it was the week after the Heritage. So, yeah, and then it was the Zurich after that. So a top five and a top 11 missed the cut at the Masters. Okay, that's interesting to see. How about before that? Um, in 2018, where are we at for Scott Piercy in the lead-in form? He did make the cut at the Byron Nelson, missed the cut at the Players. Oh, no, this is where we're supposed to be looking at here. So 24th, the Shell, 16th, the Heritage, and a missed cut at Valero. So not great, but very Scott Piercy. Yes, the ball striking was off the charts uh, going into that week. How is Billy Ho going into it? Yeah, the ball striking was excellent heading into that team event. So maybe that's something that we can look at is off the tee and approach for this event. I do want to take a look at Billy Ho. If we just sort by... We'll take a look at Blixt and Cam Smith here in a second. But I do just want to isolate Zurich so we can get to that for a second, kind of look at the tournament history of what's going on. So how are Blix's form and Cam Smith form coming into that year? When I say this is a first look show and I haven't done anything, I'm being serious with you here. So this is all me just kind of looking at it for the first time. So 2017... All right, so nothing really to write home from uh, about Jonas Blix, although he did ride the uh, ride the momentum a little bit coming out of the win with two nice strokes gained approach for him there. So Blix had nothing on the go. Cam Smith in 2017, what was he what was he up to? Let's see, U.S. Open, Wells Fargo. So he had played the Masters, came in 55th, played the Shell, and then won this event at the end of April. 
So he had made the cut a few times, had not really missed a cut since Phoenix that year with some decent finishes, nothing to really write home about. So nothing I can really look at to say that uh, this was a fantastic situation for Cameron Smith coming in in 2017. Uh, let's just take a look at the last time that we have strokes gained data. So 2016, Brian Stewart won Stumanji. I guarantee you if he won an event, he putted the lights out to no end. And of course he did, 86 Jesus. Everyone inside the top 20 gained strokes putting that week, so you had to be rolling it with the flat stick just a little bit uh, on approach, even if we just sort by tee to green. How do we do there? So second, second, fifth, eighth, eighth, fifth, eighth, 11th, 11th, 5th. So you still want to be really good tee to green. As you can see, some of the top guys tee to green did that uh, with their around the green play. If we just isolate by, by approach, Bobby, the fuck is Bobby Wyatt? Apparently he came in fourth uh, this year. Chris Kirk, all right, fifth place, tied with Jason Day. How did off the tee end up looking? Day was number one. Uh, he came in fifth. Love Mark was number two. Number four, he came in second. So it seems like driving means a little bit less. Uh, approach and putting are the two things that you really want to go isolation. I guess that makes a lot of sense. It's very much like heritage in that way. Obviously, if driving the ball, you can drive the ball a little bit better at this event uh, than you would be able to um, going into something like the heritage where it's just really hard to gain that many strokes off the tee. Sorry, I'm going to close these tabs for you here. Get back to the leaderboard. How did people do it the year that Justin Rose won in 2015? Take a look at the strokes gained for that. Yeah, off the tee and approach and putting. So yeah, you can get away with poor around the green. You can get a, you can get away with, I guess, one of off the tee approach and around the green being kind of lackluster as long as you bring the hot putter with you. Tringali, second that year. Boo Weekly, Jason Day, Herminator, Burger. How's your burger? David Hearn, sixth place. Okay, here we go. So maybe if we look back in some of the, uh, the long, classic Justin Thomas, four off the tee, 4.1 on approach, 0.1 putting. That's why you come in 12th, pal, back in the day. Eric straight out of Compton. Bowditch was making cuts and coming inside the top 15 at this point. There's a classic Keegan Bradley for you. Good ball striking. Good tee to green. Can't putt to save his life. Stallings, Kiz. Okay. How do we do an approach of that year? Danny Lee, Tringali, D.H. Lee. Chris Stroud, Cameron Smith. Okay, so Cameron Smith had a nice approach performance at this course. I wonder if we sort by all players. And we'll sort this down to... Take a look at it this way. Past 24 rounds, okay? And we're going to go with strokes gained approach. And, and TPC Louisiana. See what that spits out for us. And we're going to look at average per round to see if there's just some sort of sneaky player and see if it correlates as all correlates at all with what we have seen. Uh, at the top of these leaderboards, uh, just from this course in particular. So Cameron Smith has the best all-time approach per round at this course of anyone, and that does not include the year that he won. So I guess that would lead some credence to what is going on. Tringali is up there as well. Varner is up there. So let's start writing down some of these names. Tringali, Varner, they're both in the field this time around. Ben Ann, Sung you'll know. Chris Kirk. Oh, Ryan Palmer uh, was actually top 15 per round. Uh, once again, this does not include what he had done previous to that. Rob Oppenheim was actually up there, and we saw him uh, with one of the decent performances in the team event. Rose tends to play with Stenson at this event, but he was also up there. Hadwin English, oh, there's Stadler coming off a nice week as well. Hoffman is going to be up there. There's Laird and Hearn. 
Keegan Bradley, Camillo Vijegas, Ben Taylor, really, Ben Taylor. He's in this field. It's only three rounds of data, but still. So maybe that's uh, an angle to take on this is kind of look back at before the team event when we actually do have stats and see if we can find any sort of correlation. We've already found a few guys that, you know, Rob Oppenheim, that's really strange that he would do well uh, at a course anywhere. Um, let's see, he did not play that year. Where's my guy Op here? He came T15 with Nasty Nate Lashley the one year that he played. And did he play another year? So no, he's only ever played it once and he came 15th. And I mean, that's not really saying much in a field of 80 teams where the top 35 make the cut and you're playing in pairs, but it's just you know kind of a weird outlier to see. And when you see a name like David Hearn be up near the top of that list, and why does that correlate? Is Patrick Rogers in the field? I have to assume he is. This seems like one of like the... The random events that and I'm never going to be able to find this. It took me 80 years to find. Oh, Vernal's playing with Grace. I don't mind that team. Verner with Grace. Okay. Maybe we can get on board with that. Where are you at, Patrick Rogers? You're probably near the bottom of the list, if I had to guess. There's Oppenheim. Oh, he's playing with Grace and Murray? Ugh. How did the hell did he get sucked into that? That's not great. Ben Taylor playing with Ryan Gibson. Okay. Fun times for all. Where are you at, Patrick Rogers? Could this be a Patrick Rogers event? Raj. Don't see him. Don't see him. I'm not going to spend forever doing this like I did with the other guys. Hogard can really fill it up. That's interesting to me. I think I just enjoy like the 20-year-old Danish player who makes a ton of birdies on the European tour. That sounds like something that I would get sucked into. So I don't see Patrick Rogers, but that doesn't mean that he's not playing because uh, that sheet is unsearchable. Who the hell is D.H. Lee? He hasn't played. He's, he's playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, apparently. What was his best finish ever? Maybe this is why. Oh, Pebble Beach, third. Zurich, eighth. Greenbrier, ninth. Wells Fargo. Okay, he had a pretty good 2013. I feel like I've bet this guy before. It's just like S.J. Park. Whatever happened to S.J. Park? S.J. Park was one of our favorite guys at Fantasy because uh, Camera 2 Drew, who used to run our like online social uploading, and he basically ran the YouTube channel, at fantasy. Shout out Drew Livingston. He was just getting into golf for the first time and never really paid attention to it. And he wanted to get it on some bets. And his favorite thing to do would be like, we'd be there on a Thursday morning when golf was first starting to you know, hit the course. And there'd be the guy who's like minus three after five holes. And then like no one else is on the course. And he'd be like, I don't understand how this guy could lose. He would go to whatever website we were using at the time and go bet the leader. And it was almost always SJ Park for whatever reason. The guy drew like the first tee time on Thursday, every single time and he would come fire out of the gates for like five six or seven holes and then he would drop down to like 30 to one uh because he was in the lead by two strokes when no one else was on the course at whatever scrub event that he was entered and drew would just be like fire 20 bucks 25 bucks sj park he's in the lead i don't understand why he's not even money to win this and he would like miss the cut and come dead last but either way that's always fun to do you don't necessarily have to bet the guy coming out of the gate i hope you guys did all well at heritage i don't know the results Fingers crossed Wallace or Morikawa makes a run and Stuart Sink, I don't know, forgets to show up to the course on Sunday. That would be amazing news. And a special shout out. One thing I do know the result is, and it's kind of saved my month because I've been having a real bad go of it. But uh, Sky and Tom on the European Tour Pick Show both gave out John Catlin, 70 to 1. I cashed it with the each way. So... Thank you, Sky. Thank you, Tom. There's a reason you guys have a show on the network breaking down the European tour because you guys are actually good at this. I have to surround myself with people who actually know things. So when I lose over and over and over again, it's not the end of the world. But what if one of my guys can come through for me here on Sunday at the Heritage? Could be looking at a huge week. Saves me uh, from going into debt, that kind of thing. Anyway, 
that will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. Rate and review the podcast. Match the like to the episode. Subscribe to the network. And I will be back on Monday with Jeff Feinberg. I'm sorry I don't have more information for you about the Zurich, but I did want to walk you through my thought process just a little bit. I know it's not the most entertaining of shows, but ah, I always get a kick out of this stuff when I do it for NFL and I watch other people do it. I like to see inside what people are looking at and where they're going to find it. And I hope uh, that you can get something out of that too. I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!